Hi guys, my name's Jason and this is the UK Money Podcast. Well, it has been a little while since I've recorded an episode. Um, life has gotten in the way a little bit. It's been school holidays, kids getting a little bit older. Um, it's all been kicking off, all been happening, been busy at work. So I am back um, and I'm planning to get back into a bit more of a regular swing with these. So I appreciate your patience um, with me over these last few weeks. So probably not going to be doing them every week as I have been um, sort of prior to this little break. Um, more likely to be kind of every three to four weeks. Um, that way I've got enough content that I'm, I'm giving you giving you the good stuff um, when I actually do record an episode and also make sure that I can stick to a little bit more of a regular schedule. So um on today's episode of the podcast, um, first one back, I'm going to be talking about a couple of things that have come up um, quite a bit for me uh, in my conversations with people over the last month or two. Now, the first one I'm going to be talking about is how much do I need for retirement? And this is a really interesting question because um, for me, I've been getting getting it from people from kind of all walks of life and all um, different stages of life. So. Uh, it's been posed to me by people who are, you know, in their in their fifties and uh, sort of, you know, late forties, early fifties, mid fifties, late fifties. People who are, um, I guess, actively starting to plan and think about retirement as something that's not a million miles away. But then I've also been getting that same question from people who are in their, you know, late twenties, early thirties, who want to be starting to make some decisions or. Um, start to put some kind of plans in place to be able to give themselves a bit of a head start on that planning process, which is a fantastic idea. So like uh, I've talked about in a number of different episodes before, you know, anytime you're looking to make a plan, you need to know what your objectives are. So when you're talking about planning for retirement, really that key objective is how much money do I need? So I'm going to talk through that today. I'm going to talk through some of the resources that I tend to use, some of the rules of thumb, um, and basically looking at, there's a massive helicopter going over, if you can hear that, um, and basically just talking through, um, yeah, that, that question. The other thing I'm going to be talking about is um, basically individual shares, individual investments and analysis compared to you know, fund-based investing. And where I've come from with this question is, I, I got a couple of questions asking, you know, when I'm looking at uh, individual shares, what are the different ways that I should be analyzing those? You know, what ratio should I, but should I be using? What sort of information should I be looking for? And to me, it really highlights the difficulty with investing in individual stocks and shares rather than utilizing the, the fund approach. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about that. I have talked about that in, in some previous episodes, but in this one in particular, I'm gonna be looking at um, really the difference between the kind of analysis that you have to do and the, the level of input that you need. So those are the two topics for today. Now, um, I have changed podcast hosts. So I've always encouraged everybody to get in touch with me via social media and that sort of thing. You can still do that. I'm going to be probably less active on there though. Um, the new podcast host that I'm using now um, actually has a capability to leave voice messages. So if you've listened to previous episodes, you'll know that I've been really keen to get people to leave voice memos for me on Instagram because that's kind of the only platform that where I could find that could easily do it. But now you can do it in the show notes. So if you head down there, you can see that it says, um, leave me a voice message. So if you have a question, that is by far the best way to get in touch with me. I'm really keen to get that happening. And uh, basically, um, 
you know, definitely going to be looking at those first. So if you have a question that you'd like me to answer on the podcast, um, if it's something that you've, you've kind of been racking your brains with, you think other people might find it valuable as well, get in the show notes, hit that button and leave me a voice message. That would be fantastic. So the first thing that we're going to be talking about today, obviously, before I go into that, let's do the normal disclaimer. I am a financial planner. Everything I talk about um, today, though, shouldn't be considered financial advice. You know, it's not one-on-one advice. I don't know your personal situation. So what I'm doing here is just providing some information, kind of giving you some signposts, giving you some uh, content that hopefully can help you um, manage your own money a bit better and work, um, narrow down the kind of things that you should be looking at. But yeah, really, really important for you to note that it's not financial advice, shouldn't be considered financial advice. So with that out of the way, how much money do I need to retire on? So there's a couple of different aspects to this question. Um, and, and really the first thing you need to have a think about is when you're picturing your retirement, you know, whether that's two years away, five years away, 40 years away, you know, you need to think about what kind of lifestyle you think you'd like to live and how much um, you think that's going to cost you. So there's a couple of easy way to do easy ways to do this. Now, the first way is if if retirement's not too far away, really it's just a case of kind of extrapolating the existing lifestyle that you have now. So, you know, if you've paid off your mortgage or you're close to paying off your mortgage, um, you know, maybe the kids aren't living at home anymore, or if they are, they're maybe fairly self-sufficient. You know, you, you get to the point where you've got probably a pretty good idea of what you and, and your partner, if you have one, what your living costs are. You know, you've probably... Um, got some hobbies that you enjoy. You probably go on holidays um, semi-regularly when we can, obviously. Um, So that is really quite an easy way to look at it because from my perspective, what you don't want to do is expect to drop your standard of living in retirement. So if you're late 50s and it's costing you £40,000 a year, £30,000 a year, whatever, to pay all your bills, buy your groceries, go on your holidays, pay for your golf club membership, um, model airplanes, whatever it is that you're into. If if you've got your set figures that it costs for you to have a nice life now, just because you retire doesn't mean that those figures should change, in my opinion. you know. And I see this quite often is that people are spending 50K a year as a family or as a couple now. And then when we start talking about retirement, they start saying, well, you know, our living costs in retirement will probably be 35000 or 40000 And for me, number one, that's that shouldn't be the, the goal of retirement. You know, the goal of retirement should be to have, um, to be living the life you want to live just like you are now. Um, and also it's probably not realistic. You know, how realistic is it for you to cut £1,000 a month from your budget? Probably, probably not. Um, so that is the first way you can do it. You know, you can say, okay, what am I living cost now for at least the initial stages of retirement, you know, the first 10, 15 years, that's probably a pretty accurate, um, figure to start basing those, those living costs on. Now, if retirement is a little bit further away for you, or you feel like your lifestyle will change quite a lot in retirement. So, you know, maybe you are going to be downsizing your house and relocating, um, maybe you're moving to the Lake District, maybe you're moving closer to your family, whatever the case may be. If there's going to be maybe quite a bit of change in your life, then that means that actually that figure that you're spending currently may not be as accurate. 
So that could be the case. It could also be that you're in your early 40s or your early 30s or your late 20s or whatever. You've got a longer time until retirement. So, you know, life is likely to look really quite different by the time you get there. Now, the place that I always point people to, and there are a few different areas, um, websites and and organizations that do this, but the one that I like the most is... um, from the Pensions and Lifetime Savings Association. And I'll put the, the website in the show notes, but the, the, the website to go to is retirementlivingstandards.org.uk. Now, this is a really great website. It's fairly simple um, and it provides, um, it's basically an overview of the re- research that that association has done in um, in conjunction with Loughborough University. So if you go in there, I'm on the website now, you know, it basically breaks down the average costs for a single person or for a couple for various different qualities of life in inverted commas. So for example, I'm having a look at the, the front page now um, and we've got the overview which says um, the minimum, so the minimum standard of living for a um, – for a, a couple is, oh, let me just click that, for a couple is £15,700 per year, which does seem pretty low. Um, and that's effectively for, you know, where you don't have a car, you're spending 60, 70 quid a week on a food shop, um, you don't have any overseas holidays, you know, you don't spend much on birthday presents and things like that. So that's like the minimum standard of living for a couple. And that's obviously outside of London as well. So if you're in London, you know, probably get six coffees for that. Um, But that's um, kind of the minimum standard. We then move up to, which before we move on, you know, is not what you should be aiming for in retirement. Obviously, if at all possible, you know, you want to be aiming for a retirement that sees you comfortable and being able to do some things that you want to do. Whereas on that minimum standard, that's kind of like subsistence living. You, you, um, not subsistence living, that's that's the wrong terminology, but that's there's not going to be a lot of wiggle room in there. There's not going to be a lot of um, niceties in there either. So if we move up to the next one, um, it then goes on to what, what they've called a moderate standard of living. It's quite a big jump up to 29,100 per year. And, you know, with this one, there's a car, it's not a new car, it says three-year-old car, replaced every 10 years, a um, couple of weeks in Europe, um, once once a year, you know, a package holiday somewhere, another long weekend in the UK somewhere, a um, bit more on birthday presents, clothing, things like that. Um, and then after that, we move up to what they've called a comfortable retirement. Um, and for me, you know, if, if you're if you're really um, trying to make the most of your retirement, you're being very conscious about this. This is what people should be aiming for um, as a broad spectrum. You know, you want to be able to do nice things in retirement. You want to enjoy your retirement, not just survive. Um, I don't know about you, but for me personally, you know, I would rather work a few extra years um, or, you know, uh, quite a a few extra years, even on a part-time basis, if it meant that I had more financial flexibility. You know, I don't see the point of stopping work at 60, um, and then live, trying to live on 15K a year. You know, everyone's going to be different, obviously, but that's kind of the way that I, I tend to come at it. So if we're moving up to the comfortable amount. It says uh, the amount there for a couple is 47500 And with that one, you know, you're replacing your kitchen and bathroom every 10, 15 years, closer to £100 a week on your weekly food shop. You've got two cars in the family, three weeks in Europe, um, 1500 quid a year on clothing and footwear per person. So, you know, starting to be able to have... Um, money to do a bit of shopping and money to do those things that aren't necessities, but they're just kind of nice things that make, um, that improve our quality of life. So that's kind of the summary. 
it then breaks it down into each different section. So, you know, you've got housing, food and drink, transport, holidays and leisure, clothing and personal. Um, and, you know, you can really dive into those sorts of things and start to get a bit of an understanding around what kind of figures might work for you. Um, as I said, it's just a starting point. It makes a comment down at the bottom that that is um, for people outside of London. So obviously you'd have to make some adjustments if you live in one of the most expensive cities in the world. Um, but I think it's a really good starting point to start to think about how much you might need um, and on an annual basis in retirement. Now, if you are very, um, if you are quite a long way away from retirement, it's important to remember that those are the figures as they stand today. So if you're 30, you know, you've got 30, 35 years until you retire, you're not going to be able to have a comfortable retirement on £47,000 a year because it's not going to be worth £47,000 a year. Now, if you want to extrapolate that out, it's very, it's, you know, it's, it's simply just a case of either a very simple Excel spreadsheet or if you type in inflation calculator or something into Google and type in 47000 and then the amount of years you want to inflate that for, that will give you a future value for that. So, you know, that's starting to get a little bit more specific around it. But, you know, that's kind of where you want to get to is, is having a figure in mind that you think you would like to spend in retirement. Now, you know, it's not going to be hard and fast. It's going to be obviously years when you spend more than that, years when you spend less than that. As you get a bit older, you probably will start to spend a bit less. You know, a three-week holiday in Europe is probably going to be more difficult if you're in your mid-80s. Um, but as a rough rule of thumb, that's a really good place to start. So then the next question is, that's all well and good. Um, you've got the the sort of annual income amount that you need. How do you go about working out um, what amount of money you need to meet that? And this will, again, depend on your circumstances. So the first thing you take into account is obviously state pension. And that's a really easy one because that is paid as an annual income to you that you can just take off that amount. So you know, there's no lump sum capitalization amount for that. It is purely a fact that, you know, if you have a couple who are on the full state pension, you know, that's going to be eight, nine thousand pound each. Obviously, again, we don't know exactly what the state pension is going to be like in the future. All we can do is base it on, on what it is today. So um, again, that's the same if you've got so, uh, any final salary schemes or defined benefit schemes, you know, because they pay a, a guaranteed annual amount, it's very easy to say, right, well, that that is then a further component of my living costs each year that are covered. Where it gets a bit more tricky, and this is particular, particularly relevant for younger people because defined benefit pensions aren't as common these days, is if you've got a, a money purchase scheme or a defined contribution pension scheme or ISAs or general investment accounts, things like that. Because they are obviously lump sums, they don't specifically pay you a regular income stream. Now, there are lots of rules of thumbs out there as to what is a sustainable drawdown from a lump sum. So what I mean by that is if you have £100,000 and that's your only money, you don't have anything else, and you want to live off um, £47,000 a year, um, that is the you know, that is not going to be a sustainable drawdown. You've got a couple of years worth of living expenses within that um, portfolio. So what we're sort of trying to find out is if that money is invested, it's obviously going to be getting some growth on it, hopefully getting some income as well. What level can you take from that portfolio without it falling like a stone and running out um, before, before you pass away, basically? 
And the old rule of thumb, kind of the most common figure that is thrown around is the idea that a sustainable drawdown is 4% of your um, account value. So if you've got 100,000 pounds, you could take 4,000 pounds a year from that without depleting the capital too much. Now, that comes with a huge number of caveats. So obviously, it depends on how aggressively you're invested. Um, it depends on what the markets are like at the time. It depends on what fees you're paying on that investment. Um, it depends on how long you expect that money to last. It it really does, you know, it very much is a very, very, very rough rule of thumb. Um, but, you know, it's it's a starting point. And again, it's somewhere where you can make your own adjustments depending on what you think is most appropriate for you. So, you know, if you wanted to be more conservative, you know, potentially you could say, well, look, I'm going to base my retirement planning uh, um, projections on 3% drawdown. So obviously, if you're only taking £3,000 from that, that 100000 portfolio rather than £4,000, the likelihood is that it will last longer. So it's important to try and be um, conservative when you can be um, and just working out what's going to be the best for you. But 4% is often the, yeah, like I say, the, the quoted figure that is somewhere to start. Realistically, the best way to do this is, is through proper cash flow modeling. So when um, I work with clients, we put all of their information into a cash flow model, um, which calculates um, all of this stuff. So it looks at the tax that's paid on the different withdrawals, you know, where to take the withdrawals from, from a tax perspective. Um, you can build in um, simulations that look at different levels of volatility throughout the periods and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, if you're seeing a financial advisor, this is something where we can add a lot of value because we can put in um, place very complex uh, modeling that really provides a good analysis for you. You know, if you're doing it yourself, an Excel spreadsheet um, can do a very good job if you're if you're comfortable with that. You know, you can try and find different calculators online. You know, there's not there's not any really fantastic ones that I can point you to, um, but you know there are some again out there that provide kind of rough, rough ideas. So really, it's just trying to get a, a ballpark figure because especially if you're young, if you're in your 30s, no matter how good your simulation is, no matter how good your modeling is, it's it's going to be wrong. You know who knows what the state pension is going to be like in 35 years' time. Who knows what investment markets are going to look like in 35 years' time? Who knows what living costs are going to look like in 35 years' time? So, you know, as much as it is important to start having an eye on this and start making some plans and start um, putting in place some um, strategies, you know, it's important to understand that the goalposts will move. You know, the plan will change, your objective will probably change, but as long as you're roughly heading in the right direction, you're going to put yourself in a much better long-term position. So the next thing I wanted to have a brief talk about was the idea of ratios. So I had this question on Instagram and um, I was asked what I consider to be the best ratios to look at when analyzing stocks. And if you're not, um, if you're not familiar with ratios, um, essentially there are loads of different financial ratios that professional investment managers or, or any anyone looking to investments really um used to kind of try and assess the the potential or the um, viability of investing in a particular company. And there are lots of different ones that look at different things, you know, there's things like debt to equity. So how much debt does a company carry? Um, price to earnings ratio is a um, is a really common one. So what is, what is the share price compared to the company's earnings? Um, working capital ratio, earnings per share, return on equity, 
loads of different ones that you can you can look at. And I think if you've ever researched into this before, um, it's a really good um, it's a very good kind of um, summary of how difficult it is to conduct your own analysis on individual stocks. And the reason for that is because there is no single ratio that tells you whether a company is good to invest in or not. You know, if it was, if it was that simple, the market would be 100% efficient and no one would ever be able to outperform the market. Um, because once you start, um, you know, looking at any one of these individual ratios, there are very clear um downsides or issues to be aware of when you're looking at them. So a company could look fantastic from a price to earnings ratio, but there could be a really obvious reason why actually it's not such a great investment. So when a professional investment manager is looking at what they should invest in, they will be looking at all of these different ratios, calculating all of these different ratios. They'll have different, um, you know, programs or analyze these things for them. And then they will be looking at how they all compare to one another. Um, they'll be looking at information that is um, what, what we would call, you know, qualitative. So more around like the, the management of the company, the company's plans. There is so much that goes into analyzing a stock that it doesn't just come down to this company has a low PE ratio, therefore they are a good investment. That's not the case. Um, and for me, it really highlights why, personally, investing in a, in a fund structure, an ETF structure, is by far the best way for the vast majority of people to invest. Because even if you had the time and you had the resources to dive into all these ratios, you know, you could have a massive spreadsheet where you outlined everything for your favorite company. You could spend weeks, hours, months, whatever, analyzing that company, that's one company. So even if you do that properly, you know, in order to actually have a properly diversified portfolio, you'll need to, you're going to need to be doing that for tens, tens at a minimum, ideally hundreds of different companies. And so practically speaking, I just don't think it's doable. You know, I don't think that it's reasonable for a person on their own to be having uh, or conducting thorough um thorough enough analysis to bet their financial future on it. You know, if you think about professional investment managers, they don't have one person doing all of the research for all of their individual holdings. They have teams of people who will all have different subsectors of what the investment manager is considering or, um, you know, individual stocks that they are, they are only looking at. You know, they're able to have people that specialize in different areas. If you're trying to do that for yourself, and you're trying to do it with a sufficient a sufficient level of diversification, you're saying that you need to be better than the professional managers um, in, in doing that, but also better in every single different area and better as a generalist than they are in, in, in someone who's specifying in a, in a specific sector of the market. And I, like I say, I just don't think that's possible. So for me, you know, if you want to do that um, – as a bit of a bit of a fun thing to do, if you enjoy that, you know, if you enjoy that analysis, if you enjoy trying to have a win at the market, definitely nothing wrong with that. You know, especially, um, you know, it gets really interesting around smaller cap companies and stuff. Um, trying to have a bit of a bet or a gamble on a company that maybe you've put a bit of research into, 
I get the fun in that. You know, it's, you know, gambling can be fun. Betting on a horse can be fun. But from my perspective, it is very much the same. You know, if you're punting some money on a small cap stock or looking to pick one or two stocks that you think are going to outperform the market, in my opinion, that is more akin to gambling. Um, And so whilst I don't discourage people from doing that if they want to, I don't think that that is an appropriate cornerstone of a financial planning strategy or an investment strategy. You know, for me, that is akin to a hobby. Um, But if you're looking at uh, money that you're saving for your retirement or you're saving for a house deposit or you're saving for your financial future, you know, you're just not going to be able to do sufficient research to be able to outperform the market, in my opinion, not over the long term anyway. So, you know, that is why I think funds are so much better. You know, in, in a in a balanced managed fund, multi-asset fund, you could have 5,000 different assets within that fund. You know, there could be shares, there could be fixed interest, there could be property-based holdings, um, cat different money market cash holdings, you know, you are not going to be re- able to research and make investment decisions on 5,000 different holdings, no, no matter who you are. Um, so, you know, even if you think of people like Warren Buffett, who has made his fortune off fundamental analysis and research and picking companies that he likes, you know, even he in his will the money that he's leaving to his wife and to his family and to charities and everything, his recommendation is for them to invest in index funds. Um, and obviously we're talking about billions and billions of pounds, um, you know, and, and even he is a strong believer in the fact that the vast majority of people out there can't actually outperform the market. Now, you know, that uh, that's something I have talked about, active versus passive investment investing. And, you know, that's, a, that's a, a, I guess, a separate issue. So I'm not specifically talking about only investing in um, investing in index funds or passive funds. But I think generally speaking, for the vast majority of people um, out there, including myself, investing through funds is a is a much safer way to go about it rather than feeling like you can research and beat the market on your own. Because like I say, even if you think you could do it on one or two stocks, you're not going to be sufficiently diversified if you do it that way. So today we've had a bit of a talk about retirement planning, um, whether you're early on in life or whether you're getting closer to retirement, you have talked about how much money you might need for retirement and hopefully those resources will be useful to you. Like I say, um, I will put the link in the show notes to that website. It's a really good website. Go check that one out. Um, provides a really good starting place for thinking about your own retirement. It's really never too early to start. You know, if you're in your 20s or 30s, um, you know, you don't necessarily want to be putting too much um, money into a pension, locking it away forever. But the earlier you start, the less changes you have to make, the less drastic your retirement plans have to be. Um, And then I've also talked a little bit about the different ways um, people look at investing in individual stocks and kind of cover why I think that funds really are the only way to go for regular retail investors or or the vast majority of investors really. So I hope that's been useful. Um, I appreciate you checking back in. Um, As I said, it has been a little bit of time since my last episode. The next one will come along in the next three or four weeks. Um, If you have a question, if you remember from the start, there is now the ability to drop me a voice message in the show notes. So click that button. It will take you through to a, a, um, a web page thing. You hit record, record the message for me, and I'll answer it for you on the podcast. So that would be a fantastic way for you to get in touch with me. And I'd really appreciate that if you could jump on and, and do that. Um, 
By the same token, if you prefer email, my email and everything will still be in the show notes. Um, just love to hear from you. Love to get your questions so I can keep bringing you content that you like to hear. So that's it for this episode of the podcast, guys. Thank you very much for being with me and I look forward to chatting to you next time. Hi guys, I just wanted to jump in really quickly to let you know about my free weekly newsletter, also called The Hedge. Every week I comb through all the social feeds and news websites to cut through the noise and bring you the latest news and ideas in investing, business, entrepreneurship and personal development. As with all content from The Hedge, the aim is to help you grow your wealth in a way that allows you to be your real, authentic self. If you'd like to sign up, you can find the link as well as the links to all our other content at thehedge.io.